Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a gorgeous conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by the one, the only, a literal icon who I've literally loved for so long. I can't believe I get to interview her. Oh my God, I love her so much. Welcome to the show, Molly Shannon, where I ask her, how did you become such a superstar? Can I tell you, like, everyone, this is, like, such a major, this is, like, our, like, 260-something episode. This is, like, one of the most major life-changing guests moments. I have, Molly, first of all, welcome to Getting Curious, literally Molly Shannon. (laughs) You're here. You're making me laugh. Wait, we have to start the interview by saying, do you like the way my hair looks? I love your because love. I love your guess casual what love. what I used this morning. No, you didn't. No, yes, you didn't. I did. Yes, no. I did. I used the JVN Undamaged Strengthening Shampoo and the Ultra Daily Volumizing Condition. I love it. Oh it my makes God. my hair so soft. So we oh need to start She's- that way. You guys, Molly's <laughs> literally using Undamaged and Embody. I'm going to, my queer hands are shaking. Okay, so enough about me. Um, well, actually, I'm going to talk more about myself. I've loved you for a really long time. You oh are... God. No, seriously, like, you were my first comedian love. So much of the way that I look at the world is superstar. It no is... way! Girl, like, it's Evian. Go drink a bottle of yourself, okay? I could literally sit That's here and sweet. quote superstar for... No, it's like, it's... It, it, Oh. Is so major, and and you are so major, and your first because this is your first book that you did. This is like your first yes. memoir, yes. and also how clever and cute is the name? Hello, oh, Dolly. Hello, you. Molly. Thank you so much. It was actually somebody from Harper Collins that, that thought of that. Genius. Our books are like sisters. Are like whoever, yes. I can't believe that my book gets to be your book sister. And I we're, just, I know we're book sisters. We're like book people. Like we, we should do like, a, we're doing a nerdy book exchange, right? We're doing we a, to, we're going to see you. Each know other. what I mean? Oh, I, 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 congratulations on your book, No, Jonathan. congratulations on your book. On your book. Because, and this is major because like I, I wrote my first book over the top in 2019. When people ask me what it was like to write my first memoir, it's interesting because, well, one, I feel like it turned me into a writer. Like I love to write. I, I consider myself an author now. I, yeah, I love writing, but it also the first time felt like putting my soul in like a food processor and then yeah. like having to like eat it or something. Like it yes. was, it was like a little painful. Yeah. Um, and it's hard. And so I'm really proud of you for doing it. You were incredibly courageous. And just amazing in your book. It is just so amazing. Also, I feel like it is very surreal for me, Molly, because I once washed your hair at Sally Hirschberger in 2010, maybe, or like, like, and I think I washed your hair like a couple times, but I remember washing her hair and thinking like, oh my God, I can't believe it's Molly Shannon. Like, and, and now on this side of like, Becoming a public-facing person, hats off to you. You are the nicest person. You are oh nice when you're on a God. podcast. You're nice when you're not on a podcast. You're nice oh in a salon. God. No, you're good to yes. the people that you're around. And that is just so 
it's a lot harder than it sounds because there's a lot of pressure in this industry. Yes. There's a lot of pressure so tr- yes. out here. And yes. And I'm guilty of this too. Like I can just, I call her Vanessa. She's my alter ego. Sometimes she just comes out and she gets a little snappy. Uh, she does. Okay. And, yeah. I and understand. I don't feel like Vanessa? you have a Vanessa. I don't think you have no, one. I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do. <laughs> I don't think you have one. I just don't. Well, Vanessa has to stand up for herself, I'm sure. You sound like my CEO coach slash therapist. Yeah, you don't get to be JVN without having a Vanessa. Molly Shannon. Okay, wait, stop it. I'm refusing to let you come on my podcast and then do the heavy lifting of interviewing me. I swear to God, I'm going to interview you. I'm doing it. So... And then I talk about myself again. I'm a nightmare. So I... Actually, I'm not. I'm not. I'm successfully asking you a question. So... What's it been like counting down to April 12th? Because you put a lot of your soul, of your life experience into this work, into Hello Molly, and then the world's about to receive it. What's it been like counting down and talking about it with people? I have to say, it's pretty exciting. Like, I guess, I, Jonathan, I feel like it's different than acting. And I, like you, like the quiet of a book, it's very different than performing. And it was more serious and quiet. And of course, there's very funny parts in the book, but there's sad parts in the book, revealing parts, inspiring parts. It was all different. But so I really enjoyed that process of just being able to write in my house and and um, but it does feel vulnerable. And, you know, when you put your story out there, people might have judgments. So I think I felt like you have to be open to hearing people go, well, I think that. And I don't know. I kind of felt judgmental about that. And, you know, so I understand that. I'm like, I hear you. You have to be open to kind of let it go, too. Do you know what I mean? And let people interpret as they will. But um, I think um, I feel brave that I shared my story. And I felt I actually felt embarrassed to write a book. I felt like nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to read this. So I had to push through my embarrassments. It wasn't like I had people saying, you got to, no. I mean, my husband was really sweet. He was like, you should write a book. He, he's maybe the, maybe just him, but it's not like any types of business people were telling me to write a book. No way. But I think that's a really interesting thing about Hello Molly. And it's certainly something that I didn't see coming because I, like I was saying earlier, I've been a really big fan of you. And I don't think that I would have expected that. I think a lot of people, like when they read my book, my first book over the top, they were like, wow, I didn't understand he been through all that. And I think that when you, when I picked up Hello Molly, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be hilarious. It's going to be so funny. And it is. It is mm-hmm. funny. Okay. And you also talk about really big tragedies, life, life-changing experiences. You also talk about, um, like making it in LA, which like your roots to making it in LA are like so genius and like so, <laughs> thank you. So genius. But how did you decide what to do? Like, how did you decide what you wanted to open up about and what you wanted to include? I could not not talk about our car accident when I was little because it really did affect my life in a major way, losing my mom as a four-year-old and all of that and my dad and my dad also um, coming out to me before he died as gay. I did struggle with that part only because he wasn't out to his family or anything. And I was like, I want to honor my father. I loved my father. I admired my father, but 
that's kind of like his story to tell. So I was like, is this okay? Like that I'm telling this as the daughter of a man who was closeted for almost all of his life, born in 1926, when Mm. it wasn't really an option to come out. And also he was kind of born a generation or two too early. So, but I did struggle with like, is this okay? Cause like, you know, cousins, it's not talked about in my family. Nobody, aunts was never discussed. So it feels, I just, I, I wanted to honor him, but it was like, that was, I'm the child that, had to, I was like, do I still keep that secret? Is that okay that I'm telling this? Would he be mad at me from heaven that I'm telling everyone this? Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. But I just, I just feel like, what's the point? My dad was always like, when I would go on talk shows like Letterman, I was like, can I tell that funny story? You know, when my dad was a recovering addict, I said, can I tell that story when you took too much speed to clean the house? Is that okay if I tell that? He was like, yes, tell it on Letterman. Maybe it'll help (laughs) someone else who's struggling. So he was always very letting me tell stories like that about him. So, but, but yes, I did worry about the part about telling everyone that he was gay or bi, however he would want to label himself. I did worry about that and think deeply. I love that part, though. I loved how, when you talk about it in the book, about his coming out, that you don't want to label it because it is his story. And you you went... Yeah, yes. so like whether or not he was like bi or pan or gay or whatever, sure. you gave him room and you totally stayed in your lane. So, okay, like, good. It's amazing. And I think what makes people, I know that what's made me funny is like the lifetime of traumas that I've been through because it's like if you couldn't make a joke about it, you'd just be in a basement like crying somewhere, you know, it's like yeah. eating powdered donuts for the rest of your life. Yeah. Um, which I do love powdered donuts, but that's not the yeah. point. But I can, <laughs> but I can tell that you, I also think it's just funny though, that like as humans, like we don't realize that if someone is really funny, they probably have been through some stuff. And I think also with like social media and like from when you hit the scene to now, like that part of the industry is like so different, but I just yeah. really respect how you were able to stay like Molly, like keep this private part private. Like I had people knowing who I was for like three minutes and I was like, I got to tell you guys, I'm like, (laughs) I'm feeling some kind of way, but I think using your story to help other people is really what life is about. And that's what you're doing. You're taking like some of your biggest traumas and some of the biggest struggles and you're using that to like help to destigmatize and help to bring people in and, and you yeah. use comedy to heal, which I just think is such a brilliant thing. So another thing that you write about in the book, your mom who you lost at the age of four, which is like a uh, heart, yeah. like just my heart yeah. hugging your heart. But oh, she was a librarian. You. Yes. And I can't help but notice the significance of like your Aww. first book is going to be in a library yeah. and your mom is a librarian. What do you... Does, what does that mean to you to know that like your career and like it's like intersecting with what your mom did? That's so sweet, Jonathan. Nobody has asked me that but you. You're the first person to bring that up. And that's very moving. Uh, I feel it's very sweet of you. So it means so much to me. And when I was researching the book and I looked at all the notes that the kids who were in her class who knew her as a librarian wrote, like, Miss Shannon was the queen, was the, you know, chairman of all books. Miss Shannon loved to read. Miss Shannon gave me a book about riddles. I was just like, I love that part of my book because 
She did encourage reading. I only had her for four years, but she was really into books. And so, yes, I love that because I want to honor my mom too and her life. You know what I mean? And, and what she did do in the years that she was there taking care of us. I really want to honor both my parents, you know? Uh, And you did such a brilliant job of doing that. Thank you. That's such a great question. Thank you. I mean, I really like you saying that. Thank you. Of course. I, I think knowing more about you now, having read it, it's like, it really, you are, when you said, I feel brave, you are so brave. You really oh, are brave. Thanks. Cause it's part of like why I can't even bear the thought of having kids. Cause like, I know what I went through. You went through like mm. one of the hardest things that you're ever going to go through at such a young yeah. age. Yeah. What did this is just like out of left field. And if you don't want to answer, it's like, but oh no, that's okay. What does that. What has that felt like raising kids, having like lost your mom so early? Like, did that make you feel like extra pressure to like mom so hard or like? Yes, yes, I think, I think so. I think I'm very like, really want to do a good job. And yeah, certainly I think in terms of wanting to do the best job I can do. And, um, it does make, uh, it's very healing getting to live all the years that she didn't live and do all the stuff she didn't get to do. It's like, ah, uh. but yes, you, when you lose a parent at age four, losing my mom at age four gives me a perspective on life. That's very different. Cause I get like, Oh, you never know how much time you're going to have with somebody on earth. I just, I don't take it for granted. It's like an urgency that I kind of feel to like, this is it. You're up to bat. Like this is it. You know, I don't take it for, take anything for granted. Does that make sense? A hundred yeah, yeah. million percent. So it's very clear to Hello Molly that you are very determined very mm-hmm. resourceful, honey, uh, which mm-hmm. you have to be to become Molly Shannon. So I, I need to know who <laughs> who was like, because you do something that I was like obsessed with. I didn't. OK, and I, this is like a little bit me being a nightmare, but like I didn't know who that mammoth fellow was. But the mammoth scam mm. is really genius. It reminds me of when I used to impersonate a manager before I had one. Like oh. I would be like, um, actually, you know, he needs X, Y, Z, like can't be there till then, blah, blah, blah. But it was like a fake manager till like I had mm. one. That's amazing. That would that would set the boundaries for what you needed to work, and you would call for yourself. Yeah, well, I yeah, Veronica, you know, (laughs) email, yeah, Veronica, Veronica at entertainment dot com. No way. It was like Veronica, like entertainment, like management. (laughs) It was like a really dumb. It was like a really dumb thing, but she she got the job done. You know what I needed her, which was important. But you kind of did the same thing. So you're minding your own business and you decide because you were born in Ohio. Yes, Cleveland. Yeah. But then you're like, I got to get out. I'm like moving to L.A. We're going to the big city. And it's you and a friend who do this, right? Yes. Me and my friend Jean Pack. So we really wanted to be actors. We went to NYU drama school and had a fabulous time. NYU so great. And Jean had taken some classes with David Mamet. Um, I took, I only to maybe took a couple. I think Jean was with him a little more, but we were having a hard time out in LA getting an agent and you really needed an agent to audition for TV shows. So we were like, God, how can we, you know, we were doing the whole thing. I would go up and down Sunset Boulevard, dropping my headshot off, but it was so rare that anybody would call you. So we decided to do this thing. I called it the Mamet 
scam where we would pretend that we worked for David Mamet and we would call for one another. And so to get appointments with agents and managers. So uh, we would do it on Friday after four when all the agents were in a good mood. My character's <laughs> name was Liz Stockwell. His name was Arnold Katz. And Liz Stockwell would call for, I would call for Jean, Eugene Pack, and Jean would call for me. And basically I would say, oh, this is Liz Stockwell calling from David Mamet's office. And usually the agent was very excited, like, oh, and I would ask for a specific agent. Um, can you please put her on the phone? And they'd be like, oh, so excited, like David Mamet. And then the agent would be very delighted that David Mamet's office was thinking of them on a Friday afternoon. And then I said, David speaks so highly of your company. So we have a kid out here in LA. We'd love for you to meet. We think he's really a special talent. And so, and then Gene would do that for me. And we figured we were doing them a favor because they're meeting, getting to meet talented, you know, people. Well, you were doing them a favor because look, <laughs> but then what happened? So they would be like, oh, sure. And then if there was any type of obstacle, um, we had an answer because Eugene Pack and I had worked at Park Avenue Squash and Fitness together selling health club memberships. So we knew like if you couldn't get, we, the whole goal was get the credit card, get the credit card, get make the sale. <laughs> so if somebody had a problem, I'd be like, oh, Jonathan, um, well, you know, what kind of workout are you looking for? We always had answers to get that credit card. Get, make that sale. So we treated this the same way. So if they said like, oh, why don't you just have Eugene call us when he gets to town and we'll set up the appointment. The rule was you could not hang up the phone until you have the appointment. So by Friday at six, I would have five appointments with agents and Gene would have five. And while we were on the phone, we would pass one another little notes like, say this, say that. And we would, we would crack up. We would have to leave the room because <laughs> we did it together. And, and um, I met everyone through that. I met Bernie Brillstein. I met um, <laughs> Bernie because Bernie was connected to SNL. And um, it was it was just great. And also, um, if they would say something like, Liz, we should have lunch. I would say, oh, we're switching offices, but I'll have my assistant call you when we get our new numbers. Like that kind of thing. So how long did it take you for you guys to get your people, to get your representation? Not that long. No, not long. Because we would have, yeah. And then we, if we didn't get representation, we would make calls the following Friday again to agents. Yes, uh. agents. And they were just so delighted. And we were, you know, my character, Liz Stockwell, she was a delight. She was a delightful gal who was just like, oh, David speaks so highly of your company. It was all good, jo joyful, good news, positive. And that's it. You go on to become like an extremely iconic, legendary <laughs> character, actress, honey. I mean, I, <laughs> the amount so of times sweet. that I've said, I love it, I love it, I love it. I also, I mean, once a week, That's I make funny. a reference to like, I'm going to do a Sinead turn and do a full on Mary Catherine Gallagher side dive into a table. Like, oh I, no, I literally, I see myself doing like, a Mary Catherine Gallagher, you know, like, sometimes you would, like, do a full turn into your jump, into your, like, into your bend knees, into your jump, into the chairs, you know? Oh, what oh I'm talking yes, about? yes, yes, yes. You're, like, that turn that you are just, uh, and then go. <laughs> so, is, did you learn that at NYU? Did you learn that from that mammoth class? Like, how, like, where did you be, like, how did you start to get so into, like, your character development? Because you did, like, that's part of what yeah. you talk about. Your character development skills are, like, next level. That's so sweet. I honed it for years. Yes, I started working on the character of Mary Catherine Gallagher at NYU in a comedy review show. Um, Adam Sandler and I got cast in this show called The Follies. I was mostly working at a health club the whole time I was at NYU. But finally, like my senior year, I was like, I should take advantage of this 
arts college because I'm, I'm working full time while going to college. I should do a play or a show, you know, this is about to end. So I auditioned for this comedy <laughs> review show and the director was brilliant. Um, Madeline Olnek and she, um, she had us do a, an exercise in rehearsal for that comedy show where she just said, just come through the door and make up a character, any character, don't overthink it. And I'm going to play a snotty director and you have to try to impress me. And th- she was not impressed. You have to keep trying, trying. So I was just like, hi, I'm Mary Catherine Gallagher. And she was like, mm, smoking a cigarette, ignoring, you know, and that's how the character was developed. They ended up writing the whole sketch show around that character. And um, at the time, the character wore red pants and I think a blue and white striped shirt and uh, I think cat glasses, but it was a different look then. And then the show was a huge hit on campus. There were lines around the corner. And then people started telling me, I was a very serious, dramatic actress at NYU, but then people after they saw that show were like, you should be on Saturday Night Live. So then I was like, really? I I never thought of myself as a comedian. But then I continued to develop that character in a stage show when I moved to L.A. Eugene Pack and I moved to L.A. And we thought we're going to do our stage shows. And then I met a guy, Rob Muir, at a comedy class. And he was like, comedy is king. And it's a great way for to break into showbiz. I was like, is that right? Comedy? And what year is this again? Let's see. I started SNL in 95. So this is probably like... 1988, 88, around that 1988. So he was like, this is a good way to break in is through comedy. And I was like, okay. So we, we, I just continued to develop the character, Mary Catherine Gallagher and Sally O'Malley in a stage show called the Rob and Molly show. And I continued to develop it in front of an audience and really go, okay, that works, that works, that works, you know, developing it over years. So by the time I went to SNL, I kind of knew, I knew it really well because I'd done it on stage for so long. Yeah. And then what about Sally O'Malley, honey? How did you figure out Sally O'Malley? Sally O'Malley, the look of the character is based on a woman I grew up with who had jet black hair and red lips, but the limp is my dad. So the character, when she starts out, she's limping. Um, So I'm imitating my dad's limp after the car accident because my dad's legs were badly damaged in our car accident. They were impounded in the engine and they almost cut off his legs. But thank God that he had an orthopedic surgeon when he was in ICU who saved his legs, but he forever had to walk with a brace on his leg from our bad car accident. So when Sally O'Malley comes out and goes, ladies and gentlemen, she's limping. And that's my dad's limp. So she's like, the whole thing is like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Sally O'Malley. I'm proud to say I'm 50 years old. I'm not one of those gals who's afraid to tell a real age. She's limping, limping. But then she's like, I like the kick, stretch and kick. So basically what I'm doing is it's a wish for my dad to be able to not have the braces on his legs and kick the braces off and be able to move the way he was pre-accident. That's what the, that's what that's about. That is so deep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like a way, it was like a wish, my wish for him, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, don't be fooled by the limp because I'm a motherfucker. I'll fuck you all up. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, you might think that I'm weak and I have this limp and I'm old, but I'm a powerhouse. You know what I mean? Kind of like that. I love you so much. It hurts. Oh, that's um, so sweet. <laughs> the So, okay. Oh, my God. I also like. All I ever want to do is like fall off the back of a chair as a joyologist. Oh, which, thank you. and that one time when you fell off the chair, was that, that was like, was that 
an accident? Accidents. Or you, it was. Accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like, there was like a wife's tale in my like hometown. Like when I was like, hmm. little, like, did you like get a concussion or was that like a real story? No, I never got a concussion. No. So the day after that episode in SNL, everyone yeah. in my hometown was like, did you see Molly Shannon fall? I heard she got a concussion. She got, oh and then she had to finish up. No, it was this whole like fodder. It was like, oh it was like, and like pre Facebook and everything. You didn't know, honey. Holy so here, I just said, yeah, I was a that's big fan. I was like, no, people were upset. I love the joyologist. Who is Thank your favorite? You. Who is your favorite see, character to play? But I love playing the joyologist. So what I want to say too, the joyologist again kicks too. So there's yes. a lot of kicking. You know what I mean? So it has a lot to do again. I'm doing a version of my father, but as a woman. I'm doing Jim Shannon, like, oh, it's wonderful. Like when my dad was in kind of a euphoric state. And then again, she kicks, kicks, kicks. Cause it, I understand I grew up with my dad with braces on his leg from the accident. I couldn't sit on his lap because I would hurt him. He walked with a limp. He walked slowly. He had to learn how to walk again after the accident. So these characters have a need to kick, break out, be free. Kick the braces off again. It's kick kicking, physical. So it's very connected to my father. Isn't that weird? No, it's it's really. I always think about how I really feel. Well, I, I think about when I was a little kid and I, I was bullied so much as a little kid, and I used to think like, gosh, if I could make this, if I could do something someday to make help other kids, then this would have yeah. been worth it. Yes. And so I, I've always thought that like taking your pain or your trauma and transmuting that into healing yes, is, I, I really have always thought from a very early age, like that is what life is. Like that's, that's what it's so about. Nice. And that's, yes. and, and, and I also think that as humans, like so ultimately amazing. we want to heal, like, and not only yes. do we want to heal, we want to like understand what's going on. And you had yeah. such, you know, early, like as my therapist would call like big T trauma, like not little T, like capital T. Yeah. Yes. So you were probably like, I mean, comedy, probably in a lot of ways, it was there for you to like channel all of this trauma. And it's just incredible how you've done that. That's so true. Exactly. Art, because I wasn't aware of that. I was just doing it. It's not like I was thinking about it. But then when I thought about it, I'm like, oh, right, they're all connected. I am doing versions of my father, the leg, the brace. And it felt good to be physical, to kick. It just felt good. And it was like a response to all of that. It made me feel good, you know, and I still love to do that. Like, I really like to do, I never get sick of kicking up, you know, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> kick, stretch, kick. It feels so good to do that. You know, you do it. You do it all the time. I do it all the time. Every yeah, day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm obsessed yeah. with it. Which actually kind of, I didn't mean to go here yet. And I'm going to like end up going mm-hmm. backwards. But just, okay, because here's the other thing. So I was minding my own business in the pandemic. And I was just like, oh my God, I'm bored. And there's like nothing to do. And then I was like, oh my God. Molly Shannon has a new show. And so I turn on the other two. And then my husband and I, it's like all we watched for like, and then because didn't season two just come out like last year? Yes, on HBO Max. Because I think this like awful thing happened to me where like I finished season one Mm. before season two was out. And then I was like, who am I? But then like a week later, 
like a week later. Like I got into it at the perfect time. So I only had like a little Uh. teeny tiny bit where I didn't get, but it's, you're so genius. Your dancing number. That was the day COVID, that was the day stuff started to shut down. We, we shot that in New York City the day when it was like, Oh my God, SBU just got such on stuff was just shutting down, shutting down. It was like an, uh, it was March 14th, um, 2020. That was uh, the day we were shooting that. There was no, there were no people around. And I was like, Oh my God. It was like, uh, Ominous? Is that the right word? Yeah. Like an uh, a feeling of like, oh. And so, yeah, but we're dancing in Central Park. And yeah. But um, Chris Kelly and Sarah Schneider created that show. They're so talented. I did other people with Chris Kelly. Chris Kelly and Sarah were the head writers of SNL. They are so talented. And they just write all of that. They're so good. Oh, and you worked so with them back from SNL? I actually didn't work with them at SNL. So they were there after me. Uh. So I didn't I didn't overlap with them. They're they're much younger than me, but Chris Kelly. Kelly came to me with the script, other people, and that's how we met. So I was the star of that movie. If you haven't seen, you will love it. It's so good. I don't know how I missed a movie that you were. I feel like I had to have seen this movie. Jonathan, you and your husband should see it. It's fantastic. But I feel like I probably already, I'm feeling like I'm I played a mother dying of cancer. Oh, that's why. Because, okay, here's the thing. Yes. Yeah. Now I'm remembering. Okay. It was giving me too close to home vibes because like my Got dad it. died of cancer right around then. I'm and I was like, sorry. I'm not ready to see like I can't yeah. like because like you're like my light. You're like my, you know, you're like, you're my like, I like yeah. sometimes it's like and like actually I do you understand. watch Bridgerton? No. Okay. Well, it's genius. It's really good. But one of my really good friends is on it. And like she has such a heartbreaking last scene of season two. Like I literally mm-hmm. was like fully sobbing, bereft in tears. And I like had to mm. FaceTime her at like two in the morning, like United Kingdom time. Uh, because she, she's there. And she was like, girl, it's acting. And I was like, I know, but it's so <laughs> convincing. I feel like, are you guys not going to be friends? Because like of everything. Like, and she was like, girl, I'll talk to you tomorrow. And I was like, I am so, you're just, you're going to get nominated for that scene, girl. I'm so Aww. upset. Um, so that's like a mat- that's lack so of maturity funny. for me. But I am going to watch it because I know you're a genius in it. I know you're oh, a genius in you. it. Thank you. That's so sweet. But I do, but I also like hate seeing people who I'm obsessed with, like get hurt or like die in movies. I know what you mean. You just don't want to see that I understand that I watch a lot of reality I don't even watch that much scripted stuff because because I'm in show business I'm like eh, I don't I don't like watching scripted stuff I like reality okay Isn't that interesting yes yeah. and sidebar I am not that way I love reality and I love scripted but I'm okay, freshly obsessed with the Gilded Age and I need Ooh. you to get cast on the Gilded Age as an 1885 person you Ooh. need to be friends with like Cynthia Nixon's character in it uh, and Christine Baranski's in it. And ooh. I need you to be like th- maybe the new, like the new in town trollop. Maybe you're a new ooh. in town rich trollop, honey. Okay, and maybe you're, I like maybe that. you're a fresh widow and you're going to fuck somebody's husband, honey. Who oh knows? my because God. Because you were a good. Because you said that you started in drama. And then yeah, you, I can and do that. that. And then, I can do it. I can play very serious. Yes. I could see that you could play really serious. <laughs> In my book, I I have this essay about imposter syndrome and it's about like my sense of imposter syndrome as a comedian because like 
I keep asking if you watch these on Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is like another really good show on Amazon. Yes. She's talking about in season one, like how she wants to be a stand-up comedian. And then she gets this manager and she's like, well, I practice my jokes at these parties. And then the manager's like, you can't practice real stand-up at a party. You have to like go get up. Like you got to go get up on the mic. Yeah. And, when, and that was right at a time in my career where I just started like going up. Like I just started doing like five minutes wow. here, 10 minutes Whoa. there. But I was like really nervous and I was really scared. And it was like right before Queer Eye was coming out and I was like I don't know like I'm just because I felt like I needed to do it before the show came out but then once I started doing it I was like I have actually kind of been practicing my stand-up just I was like standing behind a chair like I was doing it in the salon so I feel like so I feel like there is a way that you can get into your stand-up and you can flex that muscle like not necessarily behind the mic but I still feel like this sense of like do I deserve to be here? Like, I didn't have the same path as that. Like, it's just this, like, sense of, like... Wow. I know. I, it's... it's. I don't love that story for me. But that's the truth. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it's like the imposter it's, syndrome. But what yeah, is it, yeah. But what does comedy do for people that drama can't? Like, how does comedy speak to people in a way that drama can't? Well, it's so funny. I went to go see Kate Berlant's show the other night. She's workshopping. She is so funny. And... I'm such a, t- a fan of, of Kate Berlant and John Early, who's also... I love other, John Early. Isn't he the great, greatest? Okay, but anyhow. Went to go see Kate Berlant's show with my friend Lynn Alicia Henderson. And Kate's workshopping it. She, she, she was like, I'm workshopping it. I was like, oh, great. I love a workshop, you know. But it was such a polished show. But anyhow, I laughed so hard. I was just laughing, laughing. And it just made me feel so good physically. When I, when I left the show, I just felt so happy. And, um, it just, it just, there's nothing like that when you can like make people forget about their day or what, what they're stressed out about. It's just such a great gift. So it's a physical, an actual physical release and it makes you feel joyful. And I mean, I was just, uh, my body felt good after. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. It's just, it's just positive. And hello, Molly, you talk about how you were brought up in Cleveland, Ohio in a Catholic surrounding, which then was giving me like Mary Catherine Gallagher vibes a little bit. I was like, ah, yes, yes, yes. Um, (laughs) But then how do you think that growing up in that kind of religious place in Ohio, how do you feel like that informed and shaped the rest of your life and even like your outlook on like your career? I still do believe in God. I'm not a practicing Catholic anymore just because I didn't really identify with that. I, 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 um, my dad was also a practicing Catholic his entire life. Um, but I think he also felt that being a homosexual or however you want to describe him, bisexual, that that was wrong against God's will. So I, I, I was like, I don't, I think that's, I think God would love that. Like, well, I think I don't agree with that. So my dad and I would definitely talk about that and stuff. And I think that, but, but I want to say that his Catholicism also gave him peace. He liked his spiritual life, but I just felt like, I didn't relate to that. I was like, I don't want to go to some priest and confess my sins. It just didn't make any sense to me. Like, I felt like, why do I have to go in this confessional and confess sins to this, like, maybe repressed man? The whole thing felt weird to me. It was like, almost like, it didn't make any sense as a young girl. So I stopped going to church when I was in college. And, but I still am, I have a spiritual life. I believe in God, but I'm not practicing Catholic. So, 
I guess, I don't know. I mean, there were okay things that came out of it. Like, you know, I think that that um, having a spiritual life can give you peace and stuff. So, but I, I don't know. I, I, but I don't like how certain aspects of it can make you feel like you're bad. I don't, I don't like that part, you know? <laughs> Knowing more about that now, like having read the book, it's like, you really like superstar is just so genius because like oh, you have like you. the Jesus character, like visiting you. And yeah. also there's that scene in superstar in the, conf- like, don't you like your character goes to do a confession in that movie. Oh doesn't? yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's so based like, on my childhood. You're like, ro- yeah. you're kind of roasting and it's, Fierce. Yes. Like it's yes. so fierce how you're like you are taking like this like these like weird shamey feelings that like they were and you were like, I'm just gonna turn this on its head and make it so funny and I'm gonna make out with this fucking tree and I'm gonna tell yes. this tree like what a naughty actually Molly, I have to send this DM to you. Like I was promoting an episode of Getting Curious like a year like two years ago or like a year and a half ago, where it start it's about trees and it starts off oh with God. me going up into a tree going, You stop it. You stop <laughs> it, you tree. I'm gonna kiss I'm gonna kiss you. I'm gonna kiss you just like this. And then I start making out this tree and it like zooms out. It's a tree. Like I I literally refer to your work on like a multiple times a week basis. I love you so much. I'm so excited about this book. It is so, it's just so good. I I really appreciate uh, someone who can go between talking about something that is more difficult, but it can, but also can go between difficult stuff and levity really nimbly. And oh, you good. write Thank really you. Well, nimbly. you do that. I know, but that's what I'm saying. Like, like I'm, I feel like I Thank learned you. some of these things from you and didn't even know it, but Thank you. I, it's just so good. I really want people to listen to it. Did you do that? You did your audio book. I did. I did. Oh, I have to it's listen hard. to it. Oh, good. It's yeah, so, I think it should be good to listen to. It's hard to do that, don't you there's think? An, yeah, it's, it is. It's. Did you have moments when you were doing your audiobook where you just I would imagine were um, very emotional. Yeah. Yes, I did. It surprised me actually, Jonathan, because people would be like, oh, was it cathartic to write your book? And I was like, well, no, I process most of that in therapy already. I've been in therapy for a long time. So I was like a cathartic. Nah. But then Jonathan, reading the first chapter, uh, sitting and doing the audio recording, it took me by surprise how emotional I got. And then I would have to pause because I couldn't, I just have to let myself cry and then take a break and then go back to reading. Oh, I hope you keep some of that stuff in the edit. Really? Yeah, I think it's really powerful. You do? Oh, That's I do. So I mean, not sweet. like, I know it's just sit there for like 45 minutes if you're having like yeah, that long. Exactly. Like, like, you like that, but like, but for oh. a little bit, yeah, I think it's really beautiful when you leave that vulnerability and, and some of that rawness a little. That's so good. I don't know if they did. I I, I have no idea because they put it all together. I did it with Dennis K- K-O, K-A-O. But it was so funny because I had just met him and I'm like, we don't know one another that well. And he's recording it over and I'm in this little room. We're next to one another. And it felt so intimate. Like I was like, just give me a second, you know. So it was very sweet. Okay, so I have like, we only have three, two minutes left. I'm doing like sure, a lightning sure. round for the part three for you. Okay, okay great. I love lightning. Okay. Lightning round. Um, Oh God, shit, fuck. Okay, okay, shit, okay. What's your dream roller project? I'd love to work with Mer- Meryl Streep. That would be fun. Her daughter's in Gilded really... Age. Uh, oh my Meryl God. Streep, yes, I'm here for that. What is your favorite unscripted show right now that you're watching? Oh, favorite unscripted? Yeah, because you said you like reality. Like, what's your oh, favorite yeah, thing right uh, now? Uh, let me just say, too, I'm actually watching a scripted show. I watched it at night. It's called, my friend Mike Showalter did it, and it's called The Dropout. And I'm loving it. The Dropout. And I also just watched um, 
of course, Real Housewives of Orange County. Watch out. And then I, I also just watched uh, Bad Vegan. Um, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, that was good. Have you ever slept with yeah. this show alone? Yes, my husband and I love it. I'm obsessed with Alone. I can't, it's, it's not on so brand for me, good. but I just love it so much. Yes, it's not on brand for me either. Isn't it good? It's, I, did you watch season six of Callie, the girl who like killed so many rabbits that she made that like rabbit outfit and then acted like Sasquatch? <laughs> No, I didn't oh, man, see I'm that. Obsessed. No, her season's everything. <laughs> I think it's like season seven. She's so good. Um, That's what can great. what can people what what what? what uh, so the other so the other two. Um, I love that. Oh oh, and I love that for you. I love that for yes. you. Happening. I love that for you. Vanessa Bayer created that show with Jeremy Byler. We've got Mike Showalter and Jesse Klein. Just this amazing team of writers, producers. And yes, Vanessa Bayer, my colleague from SNL, that premieres the end of the month. Excellent. It's about the world of of each home shopping network. Oh my yeah. god! Because so you play a so host, good. and I can't win. Yeah. Okay. okay, and then okay, this is the last thing I swear to God. Okay, I just I, I, I'm, yeah. I'm so proud of myself for getting you out of here on time. Okay. Okay, good. This is really sweet, and the, the I this I can't think of a better way to end. And hello, Molly. You say I could uh, when talking about like dating in high school and college. I could play along for a while, but then I knew I'm going to push you away because I think you think I'm normal and I'm not. I hmm. am a freak. What advice would you give to listeners looking to embrace being different, whether that's through comedy or some other outlet? Oh, that's so sweet. Um, I did feel like I was a freak. And I was like, I remember liking a boy in high school and I was like, oh, no, he thinks I'm one of those normal girls and I'm not. I'm a freak. And I guess I would say... That there is someone for everyone and to just be yourself. I like when mistakes happen and I like awkward moments and I like when people make mistakes in talking or saying the wrong thing or getting the wrong name. I'm more lately been embracing that just because I get like, it's so exhausting to try to be perfect, to try to be something you're not. I say, be yourself, please be yourself and you will find your path and stick to it. And you're going to find the person who's right for you. Because if somebody doesn't like you for you, they are not the right person then. It's a blessing in disguise. You know what I mean? But celebrate yourself. I love that. And what I want to say too is, Whatever you want from someone else, you can give yourself. So you need to walk into a relationship loving yourself, esteeming yourself, knowing who you are, feeling valued. And that way you don't go in setting yourself up to get all of that from them. It doesn't work. So I always think I can take myself on a date. I can take myself out for dinner. I give myself that first. Does that make sense? And then you And then you have more abundance and love in your life the more you value yourself. You don't have to be with someone. You can also have a great life being by yourself and having friends. People make too much of romantic things. I agree and with that so much. I agree with that so much. Be, friendships can be just as powerful. So I, I have a very open attitude about that. I don't think, I think, whatever, live your best life with someone without. It doesn't, that's not the be all and the end all. There's all different types of ways to live. I blacked out when I was in the middle of telling you about my feeling of imposter syndrome in comedy because then I was like, why am I talking to fucking Molly Shannon about like my comedy? Like I'm like black, this is like too much. But the point of what I was going to say was I definitely found my people and I found like some of my really good friends through stand up. But I also noticed that there was like so many gatekeepers. There was a lot of like straight white guys, which I've made a really good thing of like not having to work with. I think it's also been like why it's been 
like why I've had like an unconventional path. Cause I'm like, if I'm not working with like queer people or like queer people of color, like just not straight white guys, like I don't, not really into it. And, mm-hmm. but that's actually like ended up like really helping me. But the point is, is that I didn't realize that comedy was a little clicky. I thought that I thought when you got there, it was going to be this really open place. And then it is kind of clicky. And I was like relieved to read you or to hear you write about that. Cause I was like, Oh, it wasn't only me. Like, yeah, that's interesting. Wow. Exactly. Life's too short. I didn't have a mom. I'm like, I ain't putting up with that. It makes me feel bad. It's hurtful. It's, you know, you have to set your boundaries and stuff. I got into it because I felt like a freak, like an outsider. So when it starts to become like too cool for school or no, it's just these cool people. I'm like, yeah, I don't like that. That's not why I got into it. I like the freaks and the geeks together as outsiders together. I don't, I would feel, I don't want to leave someone out do you know what i mean i want to include so people that do that it's just like not my kind of people does that make sense yeah and i also Uh. think it's so cool that i also think it's just so cool that like you've been a part of that change like with your love and with your love and your comfort and being who you are in the community of comedians you have made it a better industry you've made it a better place to be i think more people are included because of your work And I just love you so much. And I'm so grateful for your time. And everyone, read Hello, Molly. It's out now. Get that audio book. Get the real book. Get it together. Everyone support Molly Shannon. We love Molly Shannon so much. Thanks for your time. Thanks for coming and getting curious. We just love you so much. Also, your deltoids and that top, honey. These shoulders are serving shoulder, honey. (laughs) So pretty. Oh, my God. Serving. Thank you, Jonathan. You're such a good interviewer. And this is so fun. Thank you. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. Our guest this week was Molly Shannon. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thank you so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend and please show them how to subscribe. Do you all just love the podcast so much you can't even stand it? Oh my gosh, I can't believe there's all these people in this room all of a sudden. That's so amazing. Anyway, uh, make sure if you love the show that you're following us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWJBN. Our socials are run and curated by Middle Seat Digital. Our editor is Andrew Carson. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Zara Krim. 